Hello, everyone. Over the last couple of years, we've talked a lot about living with uncertainty and ambiguity. Leadership teams realized that they couldn't have all the answers for their people. So much was out of their control. Many concluded that they had to live with that ambiguity, and they decided to be more open and honest about the decisions that they just weren't in a position to take. But then as time wore on, people started to need more clarity in order to make decisions about their own lives. So where are we now? Let's find out. Welcome to the Changing the World of Work podcast, where we provide insightful, practical content to untangle and demystify workplace change. I'm Karen Plum, Director at Advanced Workplace Associates, where we combine science with nearly 30 years experience helping organizations change the way they work for the better. In the summer of 2021, I talked to colleagues in different countries about what was going on in terms of the return to the office plans and general trends that they were seeing around how organizations and their people were responding to the different ways of working. And we featured these in lots of our podcast episodes. So at the start of 2022, I particularly wanted to see whether the ambiguity and uncertainty that we were seeing in 2021 was being replaced by more clarity and certainty. To discuss this with me and to give an update on what's happened since last summer, I have two guests in this episode. The first one, who told me last year that people getting used to living out of a backpack, so being flexible and working in different locations, is Neda Metab, AWA's senior associate based in San Francisco. I started by asking her to describe the current situation. Last year, companies were actually trying to do two things at a time. Number one is that when can we bring people back to the office? And secondly, what does the future office or future workplace look like? So given that we are now lived another year with COVID and the variant of COVID, while there is a wide understanding that return to office is still not on the books right now, companies have really focused their attention in figuring out what does the future of hybrid world or future of work looks like for their respective organizations. Have they had a chance to experiment? Maybe not because nobody has come back and nobody has actually piloted that. But at least in order to give the employees and the workforce that clarity, there have been intense effort that has gone into understanding what work types can continue to work from home, what work type will be hybrid. And that has given employees a little bit of predictability into their future to allow for them to make future decisions. So yes, the work is going on, maybe not as fast and where we want it to be, but there's more clarity coming that we are in it for a longer run. So how can we make it well understood by our workforce that what the expectations will be? Do you think that the desire to give people clarity was something that came from the organization or was it something that the staff were really asking for or was it a bit of both? Definitely the latter, Karen. And I do empathize with the organizational leadership as well, because there was a lot that was thrown at them to figure out. Leaders did not want to make any radical decisions and then regret or the, have the adverse effects on the employee. So there was some time that was needed from leadership point of view as well before they could give any clarity to the workforce. But the desire and the heightened desire of the clarity definitely came from the uh, employee level. 
And leadership understood that. And uh, they realized that if it's not being responded to, then there will be a loss from talent perspective. Yeah. So we've heard all, all about the great resignation and people and surveys saying that people were prepared to resign if they couldn't get the flexibility that they needed. Are you seeing much of a trend in, in that direction or are organizations managing to hold on to their people? I heard this term yesterday in one of the industry thought leaders interview that it's not a great resignation. It's a great reevaluation. And why? It's because all of us throughout the world at the same time were posed with the challenge to evaluate that what are we doing? How are we doing things? Can they be done differently? So, of course, people responded differently. The other thing that happened is that people realized that they have a right to choose how they want to work and where they want to work. And maybe in the past, there was um, there was a misconception that work only gets done in the office and it only gets done if we uh, abide by five days a week, work week. But there are so many different ways people have still managed to be productive. So why not apply that flexibility into their lives and their work lives? Uh, organizations are sad to say, but they're not as far along in making that radical flexibility happen. But as the pandemic timing is expanding, there is more maturity and realization that is happening at all levels, including the leadership level. Technology is enabling a lot of that too. So people are learning new tools and new practices that otherwise they were not, uh, they didn't think they could do. So yes, organizations are because the biggest war we have at hand is the knowledge worker talent war. Indeed. And I remember last year we were talking about people having temporarily moved away from the big cities because they knew that at least for a period of time they weren't going to be required to pitch up at the office. And and I remember your term, live in your backpack, <laughs> which uh, became a bit of a catchphrase at the time. Do you think people are still living in their backpacks? I think the difference between last year and this year is now people have actually learned how to live in a backpack because it's been going on for two years. And just given where uh, how where we are in on the spectrum of uh, pandemic surge, organizations have not set their return to office dates, but they have given some more clarity around that even when and if they, the organizations do bring people back to the office, while not everyone is going to be remote or not everyone is going to be hybrid, there's another category that is being introduced to um, to our industry, which is ad hoc employee. And what does ad hoc employee mean? It's basically the middle ground between a hybrid employee and a remote employee. A lot of companies were being posed with the challenge that while there is a high desire from the, from the employees to not be in the office even one day a week, if we make them remote, that comes with a lot of legal implications and the compensation and other onboarding and abiding by many different laws. So this category is specifically created for the organizations that are okay with employees not coming to the office two to three days a week, but they're still not, not going to put them in the category of remote. Now, from employee perspective, that still is a win for them too, because if I'm not expected to be in the office two to three days a week, I know I can live really little farther. And if I need to go in once a week, once a once a quarter, I can do four hours drive once a quarter, but I don't want to do that. 
twice a week. So I think the trends are morphing in a way. It's going to be a win-win for organizations and the employees. And that, I think that's part of the, the certainty that you were talking about earlier on. So it's one of the ways of delivering certainty is to give is to create this new sort of work style, if you like. So are you seeing differences between tech companies and other sectors in terms of the decisions they're making and, and the things that they're offering? Yes, I am. And I, I think it's also a function because they're being posed. Maybe the industry is looking at them to set the trend as well, how the open office trend started that way too. I'm seeing that there is a higher level of realization in the tech sector that the decisions are not going to be made at the C-suite and the executive leadership level. And the shift is coming to giving more autonomy to the people managers and team leads because who is closest to the employees and who is going to make sure that the business outputs continue to happen as they were promised, the team manager, the people manager and the team leads. So being close to the work, they are best empowered. I wouldn't say best because employees are best suited to make the decision what's good for them. But uh, the team managers and the people managers are best positioned to find that balance that, no, my team doesn't need to be in the office more than once a quarter because then they feel empowered that I need to learn how to manage virtual teams as well if I want to make my team happy. So that the co-creation of set solution and the ownership starts to happen and residing at the team's level. And that actually becomes one module gets multiplied. And then that becomes a whole cohesive culture where team managers become responsible for the output. From what you're saying, it sounds like that that decision-making has shifted from, as you say, the C-suite down to the more sort of operational level, giving them more control, more autonomy, which sounds like a good thing. So does that mean that really the culture of those organizations is changing? Absolutely. I think in this new world of, I I don't want to call it post-COVID world, but let's just say it's a post-COVID world. People managers have a whole new role and responsibility. And slowly the executive leadership is also realizing that we need to empower people manager to be better leaders of the future, but also take the vision of the organization forward. So that's definitely a very good trend that we are seeing. Not all the companies are at the same level of maturity to acknowledge that, but it is definitely becoming a trend. Empowerment's one thing, capability and skills is another. So again, is that something that you feel companies have been doing over the last couple of years to upskill and support their managers in developing those skills, or are we still on that journey? I think first step is to acknowledge that something and that acknowledgement is happening. It's happening faster than we think. And some organizations that are farther along on that acknowledgement curve, yes, they have already developed many good programs and uh, learning and development and training programs for their people manager, how to uh, manage virtually, how to uh, run a meeting with inclusive workforce. But not everyone is there. I think that we're going to see next year, if I'll talk to you again on a podcast, that we will hopefully will see that people managers are the new decision makers for what the future of the company looks like. And and one of the clients, uh, potential clients that we were talking to for the cultural transformation work, they actually did say that we see that 
the trend has to shift from the decisions being made at the leadership level to the business unit leaders and the team managers level. However, the rift is between that letting go of that decision making and trusting that, yeah, they are ready to make the decisions. So we'll see more of those dialogues happening and there's definitely going to be more desire from the people manager side that if you want me to deliver business for you, you need to give me some autonomy. So last year was about employees wanting to have a choice. This year, I think it's going to be more about people managers wanting to have more autonomy. So silver lining of, of pandemic. I do think it's important to find those silver linings in amongst the disruption and all the things that we've struggled with. I do think this time has advanced the cause of people power and flexibility more than we could have ever imagined. My thanks to Neda for joining me in this episode. I'll be catching up with her later in 2022. And now we're going to take a quick break and I'll be back after this message with my second guest, who's going to give us an update on what's going on in India. As more people start to embrace a hybrid way of working, how are organizations applying the technology required to enable an effective workplace experience? I'm Brad Taylor at the Advanced Workplace Institute, and I invite you to join our one hour online session on February the 16th at 4 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. US Eastern and 8 a.m. US Pacific for how do we use technology to manage the hybrid workplace? I'll be joined by AWA founder, Andrew Mawson, and we'll be discussing what organizations are doing and how you might want to think about this important enabler of effective hybrid working. You'll get the opportunity to pose questions and share your own thoughts and insights. So don't miss this AWI event on February the 16th. How do we use technology to manage the hybrid workplace? You can find details of how to sign up for the event in the podcast show notes. Welcome back. In this part of the podcast, I'm joined by Partha Sama, our senior associate based in India. When we spoke last summer, Partha told me that organizations seemed to be listening to what their people were saying, and this was something rather new and encouraging. And there was very much a watch and wait approach, with organizations planning to review the situation after the holidays. So I was interested to know where things have reached now. Have people flooded back to the office? There was an attempt, uh, I think, in around Diwali last year, which was in November, for organizations to actually bring back people to the workplace. And then people kind of, I won't say revolt, but people actually said, hey, wait, hang on. Uh, we need a little bit of time to actually get back our accommodation because a lot of people have actually left the big cities like Bangalore and Mumbai and gone back to the smaller towns. And they said that give us at least a couple of months for us to you know, get back our homes and our accommodation. So they actually pushed it back to January and then Omicron hit us in January and then officials had to be shut down again. So I wouldn't say that people have actually flooded back to the office, not at all, in fact. So that uh, kind of uncertainty, which is there about six, seven months there has begun to creep in again in terms of when will the offices reopen. So it's there. But uh, certainly I think one thing has changed is that the last time from the last time that we spoke, organizations do seem to have a plan in place. So there are things like agile working policies which have come into place. It's just about rolling them out now. Right. So when um, when people thought they were going to have to come back to work in the office in November time last year, and they said, well, we need some time to get some accommodation, do you sense that they were willing and, and happy to come back? I'm just interested that having felt that they had a greater voice, do you think that voice was effectively being taken away 
and that the companies were saying, well, no, okay, it's all over now. We want you back in the office. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, like we spoke the last time, a lot of decisions were kind of delayed because people were following the wait and watch policy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's actually been two years, if you think about it, it's been two years for organizations. And what happened was that a lot of office leases expired or are about to expire. So a lot of decision making was actually driven by that. The fact that, oh, my lease is expired now or is about to expire. So I need to do something about my office. And when you think about it this way, what you then think about is that, okay, am I going to take more space or am I going to take less space? And this, I feel, at least in India, prompted a lot of these new policies about how you should return to work, should you work remotely and all of that. And decision making, to a large extent, uh, I would say, uh, was driven by these lease expiry dates. But uh, people were speaking about, you know, the fact that they would like to work from their homes and people expressing that I, I cannot do this and do that. So organizations did listen to them, but I wouldn't say that they listened to them 100%. For example, now uh, an organization that we worked with re uh, recently, they actually rolled out an agile working policy and they said that, okay, you can work uh, two days a, a week from home. However, on every Monday or on a Friday, you have to be in office. So that's the tweak that they introduced. So yes, they listened to the organization, but they thought that, okay, if I have to make my realist efficient and if I have to make my lighting and air conditioning efficient, I need to get my offices back in on a Monday and Friday as well. Otherwise, my office will be empty on a Monday and a Friday. So these sort of, kind of not negotiations, but uh, you know, things happen in organizations. Very interesting that some of them are taking the opportunity to downsize, perhaps move as a result of a lease expiry or maybe a lease break. Have you seen many examples of organizations being more flexible or really just wanting to change the way they do things as part of the way they operate? Yes, uh, yes, quite a lot, actually. I mean, if you really think about India, the whole commercial real estate market in India actually grew on the back of these large companies providing IT services, ITES services to the West. And this, this whole thing was actually centered around cost efficiencies. So a lot of organizations had carried on with the legacy of setting up, you know, densely packed offices running two or three different ships. And, you know, it's like a sea of workstation. Now, I think a general kind of acceptance has come amongst uh, leadership in these organizations that, all work does not necessarily happen within those workstations. Work can happen anywhere. So a lot of changes happen there in terms of uh, the fact that, you know, activity-based working, which is something which is heard of in India, but not really practiced, is being rolled out in India a lot. And, and I wouldn't say that that's a like, tectonic shift as far as, you know, the workspace uh, landscape changing, but it, the shift really is centered around a deeper understanding that productivity is a lot more than actually sitting on the desk and spending eight hours on the table every day. And that for the ID ITS industry is a big shift. The fact that, you know, you need to have different kinds of environments to be productive for different kinds of tasks during the, throughout the day and from an earlier mentality of let's throw in some fun areas and some cool spots just because, uh, you know, somebody in, in the West coast is doing it or because my neighbor is doing it. So that's the mental shift, which has happened. Sounds very encouraging. We talked, I think, last year about people voting with their feet and if they were not getting the flexibility that they were looking for, that they might be willing to look for another job. Is this something that's still being spoken about in India? Is there any evidence that this is happening? 
compromises what is happening now in the sense like a lot of people actually said that uh, i'm happy being in my hometown with my parents eating home food kind of a thing and then uh, people wanted a lot of clarity in terms of can i continue to do this for the next 2 3 years because my neighbor's company is actually offering that otherwise i go there so organizations did realize that, hey look this is a threat for us we're going to lose some people so what they said is that they said that yes you can but there are only certain number of days in a month that you actually work remotely in a sense what they were saying that you have to be back in our city and they rolled out all these policies agile working policies and said that hey look if you are within these cities in india you can still work but if you are let's say in a remote town 2000 kilometers away from bangalore where we cannot provide bcp support like for example if your laptop breaks down there we cannot do that so organizations went to the extent of saying that okay we are say let's say bangalore centric or mumbai centric but hey look there are these 20 other cities in india where you can work from where you can support you through a uh, tie up with a co-work space or somebody like that and you can work within these spaces so these kind of compromises have begun to happen and uh, i see that uh, you know these agile working policies are rolled out with these conditions uh, in them what we heard last year was very many companies saying that they were getting more comfortable with the ambiguity and the uncertainty of living in covid times and that they weren't able to give people certainty about when the office would open what hybrid working would look like how many days a week they'd be able to work from home all of those sorts of things and yet as it went on and on and on and they kept deferring making any concrete decisions some ceos started to say well we can't keep saying we're putting it off we're putting it off people are asking us for clarity for certainty because they want to make decisions of their own i think essentially employees kind of you know raised their arms and said we've had enough of this uncertainty give us some news even if it's bad news give us some news so and that's why i think a lot of these organizations actually came out with these policies although i won't say that all these policies were favorable to employees but at least they got to know that yes i can do this or i cannot do this and uh, i won't say this this solves all problems for everyone but it's a good beginning and what we also see is that i've seen some of these policies we've also helped some organizations draft these policies they are of course not sufficient to satisfy everyone's needs but uh, the other things which are coming up is you know things like uh, working together agreements and these are things that are being introduced between teams and team leaders are being trained we are helping some clients to do that so i think a combination of these agile working policies and working together agreements will uh, to a large extent help people slowly adjust to these new ways of working Yes and give them more clarity and more control over what those agreements look like. So are there any other major uh, trends that you're seeing? Well I mean one of the things uh, and this is uh, particularly in reference to India I I would like to point out is that a lot of decisions were earlier taken on the basis of management saying that okay this is how it it should be this is the rule of you know how it should work within the office and so on the organizations began to listen to the people what they were saying so one of the trends i would say which is actually picked up is that more and more organizations are taking data driven decisions which is not so much of the case earlier and of course there are two sides to the workplace right there is a people side and there is an infrastructure side 
Now, earlier organizations used to rely on employee service, like the ones that we used to do, and infrastructure service, which is uh, which is typically called uh, small data or people data. But now I see a move towards actually uh, looking at big data as well, which is like, you know, you're looking at uh, occupancy sensor data to actually check on occupancy levels and then using automation to control lighting and air conditioning. So this is not only about bringing in operational efficiencies, but also about curating uh, kind of personalized experiences for employees. And, and so there's a realization that if I listen to people and use that data to actually curate personal experiences for them, uh, it'll probably convince them to be in office because when you realize as an employee that I can get everything done by being on my laptop, there needs to be a very, very compelling reason for me to be in office, take the train, take the bus and be in office. So there's been a move, I think, amongst leadership to actually try and curate kind of experiences. We're still in the early uh, days, I think, but that's that's where I see things moving. It has been a wake-up call both for employees as well as employers. And I'm happy that, you know, organizations have realized that at the end of the day, it's not something which is written in some management book that it's all about the people. It really is about the people. They are a first line of customers. And that, that realization definitely has come in. So when you talk about product companies actually curating experiences for their customers because they're going to buy your product, the same kind of attitude has come amongst, I think, leadership and they're beginning to treat employees as the first line of customers, which is, I think, not only a wake-up call, but very, very encouraging, I think. Well, my thanks to Partha for updating us on developments in India. I'll catch up with him again later in the year. It's encouraging to see organisations taking the initiative to make changes and focus more on delivering great workplace experiences for their people. If you're going to travel to the office or relocate back to the big city, you have to know how that's going to help you to do your work. That's it for this episode. My thanks again to Neda and Partha for giving us a glimpse of what's going on in their part of the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changing the World of Work podcast. Please follow or like the show so you don't miss any of our content. You can find more information on this episode in our show notes, including a link to the AWA website if you'd like to know more about us. Hope to see you next time. Goodbye.